Hey, what's going on, everybody? You are listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. Today, I have with us producer, songwriter, and engineer, Adam Corbismeyer. How you doing, Adam? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on The Sane Show. I really appreciate it. Excited to have you on. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the future of music. We're also going to talk about streaming. And then we're going to have an interview with Adam so you guys can learn a little bit more about him what he does, what he has going on, and everything related to that. So let's go ahead and hop right into it, the future of music. So you and I were having a conversation about this prior to the recording, and I <laughs> I had my notes, and then as we talked about it a little bit more, and obviously I didn't want to dive too deep into it because I like to save everything for the recording, but you, you brought up some interesting points as far as the future of music because how me as a fan, you know, one of the, the things I'm thinking about is the sound, you know, how music is ever-changing. This is always interesting, you know, to see how different genres evolve. You brought up a very interesting thing as far as from the artist side and the effects of music streaming and how performing artists or musicians need to be cognizant of what they need to do and not rely so much on streaming. So if you just give me a little bit as far as your perspective from when you were saying that. Yeah, so kind of what we were talking about earlier is just how people kind of view what they need to do as an artist like basically it's really easy to put music out it's easier than ever before because of technology which of course that goes into you know you buy apple computer and you have GarageBand, so now you can record yourself just off the jump that's a great thing you can kind of mix yourself you know to a degree with practice it used to be you there was kind of a gatekeeper to you had to be on a label to have money to go into a nice studio. Now, anybody can release music. So there's a lot of people who think, okay, I can kind of do this on the cheap because of technology. I'm able to work on a laptop. Now I can get it on all these streaming services for like 15 bucks for the year or whatever. But getting something on a streaming service isn't enough to make it happen. You have to, there's still a lot of hard work that needs to go into it. Just like something that we were talking about is, you know, there's a lot of people that are, releasing music and maybe they have a following on instagram but that's kind of all they do it's really not enough and like one of the main things is obviously you have to be promoting yourself online but more so than online like you have to be out there in the streets networking and meeting people going out letting people know who you are and what you do and obviously the the number one way to do that is to be out playing live shows that's just uh one thing i mean and if you look at anybody who is someone who's working hard, they're doing those things. So I feel like that's one thing that there's definitely a lot of people that miss that now. They think, oh, I can get together a couple hundred bucks, record a song on the, you know, on the kind of cheap and get it up online, get it on YouTube, and it's going to take off. And it's like, well, you know, that's not enough. You bring up a good point because it's one thing to be able to have, I guess one of the things I'm thinking about is the, the quality, right? And that's something that you're speaking on is, is the quality of the music. In business, we, we talk about the, the barriers of entry, right? When it comes to the music business, the barriers of entry have been virtually eliminated almost. Yeah. Until it gets to the point where you need to, I guess, have funding to be able to, to really get that mass exposure and become one of those artists that are touring and doing those studio sessions and all that other good stuff that you get when you sign to a label. 
so I guess with eliminating those barriers and now everyone have an opportunity to get on these social platforms and have access to all these these apps for free and has that hurt the business? It's tough. I don't think if it, it hurts or helps, it's just a little different because what's great about it is that you're able to give a voice to somebody who may otherwise not be able to be creative. And so mm-hmm. some people are really are going to really shine through that. A great example of that would be um, the artist Steve Lacey. I don't know if you're hip to him, but he did an EP yeah. where he he recorded all on his iPhone. And he's incredibly talented and has a career as a, as a musician. He was able to do that all on his own. He's super creative. It was really cool. Now, that being said, he might be the only person who recorded an album on an iPhone and it sounded good. You know what I mean? Right. So it's definitely not the norm. But it's really cool that that's that that's an option that that can be done. But, you know, for every story like that, there's probably who knows how many tens of thousands of people releasing music that shouldn't have no business releasing releasing music. (laughs) So it's good and bad. But I think in in general, it's good because especially to like when I was starting out, it was they barely had audio interfaces for computers and stuff where it was like the first Mbox came out when I was in like college that changed everything so it's just it's cool that you're able to not spend a ton of money and you can be creative even if it's just for yourself or whatever so i think it's a good it's a good thing but there's definitely a lot there it definitely makes it tough because you go on spotify and it's just like there's so many songs that that are just on there and nobody listens to them right it's funny you bring that up because that was one of the things I was thinking about. There's so much. It's like with, with social media, right? It, it gives everybody the opportunity to advertise. But research shows that uh, the ad effectiveness on social media is significantly lower than it would be if paid for an ad on a TV, even a newspaper. But with music, especially when you talk about Spotify and you know even like SoundCloud, it's a lot of noise, just like there is with advertising on social media. There's a lot of artists, and I find myself even having, when I'm trying, because I, I like coming across new artists, but at the same time, it's like, I don't want to filter through what I, for lack of a better term, what I consider junk, <laughs> filter through yeah. all of that to try to find something good. <laughs> well, I, it's like, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, I agree with you, and like, for me, like, I, I just don't. So it's like I'm going to find new music from word of mouth from my friends or mm-hmm. I'm going to find out about it through the, the curated playlist. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, there'll be certain playlists I listen to be like, oh, shit, this person's cool. I've never heard of them before. But mostly I, it's still just word of mouth. You know, that's how I end up finding out about people who aren't super popular yet but are really cool. It's just like other other people that I work with tell me, like, oh, have you checked this per- this singer out or this band out? Because, yeah, it's like who you, there's just too much. There's no way you couldn't listen to everything that was uploaded. There's too right. many songs every day. <laughs> well, what was I going to say? I remember, I, I don't know the exact number on this, but I remember reading an article that was talking about the number of songs on iTunes and how much, how much money they make. And that basically, and you know, this is even, even this is old now because nobody really buys songs on iTunes anymore, but it was mm-hmm. essentially like less than 1% of the songs on iTunes made 90% of the money. Essentially, it's like, you know, your your top hits, your Taylor Swift's, your Kanye West, right. et cetera. They're making literally all of the money. So it's like, even though they can say, oh, we have like 
this crazy catalog of so much music that you can buy. It's like something crazy too. Like seventy-five percent of the music had never been purchased. Just essentially, it's like all, all it's like all these people put their music through TuneCore, CD Baby, or whatever, yeah. and it gets up on iTunes, and then literally no one buys it. Even now, that's that's outdated because it's nobody buys anything anymore. It's just right. streaming because eight dollars a month to have access to everything anywhere so why would you talking about streaming where do you see things going in the music business from what you do and you being on the other side of the table well the the big thing that needs to change up at least at to a degree is is the payouts on these and you know there's a couple organizations like songwriter organizations that are trying to change that but it's essentially like unless you're part of a smash hit, you're not really making um, livable money off streaming. And just like a real quick breakdown, and this is approximate numbers, so these aren't exact, but if you are an artist and you write your own song and you produce your own song, so you own 100% of the song and you get a million streams, which is, like pre- which is pretty good. Most people don't get a million streams. Your Drakes are going to get potentially a billion or the hundreds of millions if it's a hit on the radio but if you get a million that's pretty good if you get 10 million that's like people are probably going to notice you if you get 10 million a million streams is only going to net you about four thousand dollars and so if you even were to go go up and look at people who are doing it independently like they probably don't have a million streams you know but even if they did and they had 10 songs and they all had a million which would be great you you would have to have done that com- solely on your own. The, what the reality is, at least in the collaborative age of what music is now, is when you look at the credits, you'll see a long, long list of names. Uh, look at Beyonce's album. It's like they're going to be eight to ten people per song as writers and producers. It's very collaborative, which is really awesome. But now you're you're divvying up that number a lot. Is streaming continues i know there's already a couple organizations to just to get that number up so it's like still still today even though you know nobody really talks about radio radio still Mm -hmm. pays out the people the back in the back end the best that's why if you have a a top 40 song on pop radio you're good like you're doing good if you have a big number one that could make you a millionaire the other side of that would be is like you know look at ed sheeran's numbers look at post malone numbers look at drake's numbers like those numbers are so crazy high because it just gets streamed like a million two million times a day on different platforms too like they're making real money but you're also talking about like you know the 10 most popular songs in the whole country out of how many songs that are available to listen to you're talking about like there's like people who are really really making money but even then you're saying if you go on spotify and look up Look up who, who's, who's a million plus because it's not even 50 songs. It's not even 50 songs. So it's like there's even a lot of people on major labels who aren't getting those types of numbers. You know, you have the, the people who are definitely killing it. But, but you, if you say, that, okay, like you're, you're a million up, you're making 4,000 a day and there's eight people on the song and it's like, and, and then hopefully it stays up around there for, you know, a month or two. Dep- you know, some songs have long, better longevity, but, mm-hmm. you know, if it goes up and goes down... And at that point, too, you have a big budget that you got to recoup because I'm sure that, you know, any song up there, they're putting heavy money into promotion.
Okay, now we're going to hop into the second topic, streaming. What a perfect segue, too, because we just having a conversation about this. And it seems like as the days go on, like streaming continues or dominate the conversation. I And it's funny that I'm sitting here talking about this with you today because last time I had a conversation with someone about streaming, it was with one of the executives at Warner Records. And... You know, we were talking about the streaming war. And since that conversation, I remember him and I were we were texting each other news articles about some of the things going on in the streaming business in general, um, not just in music, but as well as you know, television and film. You know, recently, 21st Century Fox was bought out by Disney, something that a lot of people saw coming. Mm-hmm. And then obviously that affected Hulu. And so now, in, you know, we have Disney Plus and, you know, Disney Plus is also Hulu is a part of that family. And now you have Netflix. And I don't know if you heard recently, um, Netflix and Nickelodeon are talking about coming together to do something. And so it's just like, wow, it's just a lot going on. And streaming is really starting to dominate. What are... Because I know you're talking about YouTube as well. And it's going to be interesting going forward to see where everybody falls. Because for a second, it, it appeared to be that, you know, Netflix was leading the way. As we've been seeing, Netflix is losing a lot of rights to different series and, you know, having to create their own original productions or original series, which some of them have been quite successful and, you know, these other uh, production companies or studios taking their content off of Netflix and going to do their own thing. Uh, what, what, are, what are your thoughts about everything that's happening when it comes to the television and film side of, of streaming? Like, I, I know about Disney, and I, I know that I don't care. Because <laughs> like, I, don't, I, don't, I literally don't watch any Disney things. I mean, the only thing I could say really would be Netflix, they're, they lost friends, right? And they're going to, mm-hmm. or no, they're losing friends in like The Office, which are their two biggest shows. There's a couple things that are, I guess there's a couple things I could talk about. The one thing with like, with friends and The Office is, I don't know if they're going to lose subscriptions over it. I just mm-hmm. feel like there might be a younger generation, like you know, young kids who would, their parents are like, kid like people our age might be like oh no you should you didn't see the office like you gotta check it out it's like it's hilarious you love it and if it's not on netflix it's only on nbc's streaming service then who's gonna i mean i don't know i'm definitely not gonna get nbc's streaming service i i mean i watched the office when it was out i watched it again on netflix like you know a year or two ago but Mm -hmm. i feel like only it only hurt people who aren't going to be able to watch it now because it's going to be less accessible and I think that's probably the same thing with Friends. Although I don't really care about Friends, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think that show sucks. Yeah. I mean, the the other thing that the only thing that's like weird with Netflix is like you know if you listen to any of these people who put stuff out with them is nobody knows how how much they get streamed. We don't really know how popular it is because like with the YouTube or you know, Spotify or something, you can actually see how many times something's been streamed. You know, with Netflix, it's kind of like a hidden thing. I think it probably means it's maybe not streamed as much as they'd like their investors to. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm sure they're trying to make it look better than it is. I never really thought of it like that when you talk about how much something has been streamed. But... Yeah, and, like, people don't know. Like, I, I was listening to, like, Joe Rogan on his podcast, and he was talking about, like, he's like, yeah, I get paid, like, X amount of dollars, but they won't tell me how, how many times my stand-up's been viewed. 
So it's like, it's kind of, that's kind of crazy, you know? <laughs> so I, I guess the thing is that they're just, they have so much investment money and they're getting paid. So they're just like, whatever, you know, I'm getting paid. I know it's, right. I know it is good exposure because I'm selling tickets at my shows, but they don't really know mm-hmm. how good it is. And right. then it's also tough now too, because, and I, I'm sure you feel like this, but it's like, you go on, even if you just had Netflix, but it's like, you go on and it's like, there's so much new content always that yeah. it's it's almost like what we were talking about with for streaming when you go on these music services it's just, it's just too much and it's like it even is. with Netflix when they're really just promoting some of their bigger names of their own original content it's like you don't have time to watch all of it and then right. like i have Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, HBO Go, you know what i mean like right. and we don't i don't have cable but all those are like enough to like there's Netflix is more than enough, you know? And then on top right. of that, like we're talking about is like YouTube. There's so much good content on YouTube. Like I think if, if I was going to pick one service, I'd pick YouTube, which probably sounds kind of crazy, but there's so much awesome stuff on there. It's like, right. you know, you can go down these rabbit holes. I just started <laughs> going down like a graffiti rabbit hole in the past week. There's so many crazy graffiti documentaries and then it's, the algorithms are so good on it. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. They really get that right. You know, that's the that's the great thing about YouTube, though, is like you can go down that rabbit hole. And it's crazy, like, especially because when you start at a certain place and you end up at a certain spot, it's like, how did I get here? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I want to go back to Netflix really quick because one of the things I was you made me think about, because with Disney Plus, I love the idea of it. When you think about all of the content that Disney has, it's almost like very niche content. And that I don't think it would be a really great standalone service like Netflix is unless they had without them having taken over or taken Hulu under their umbrella. Because one of the great things about Netflix is that they were able to pull content from multiple networks where you could go to just Netflix alone and that be like your cable package that you got on your TV. But now it's becoming a thing where they're, again, when they're, they're, they're losing all of these shows. And I feel like when it comes to streaming services, it, it's, it's almost going to become like cable is now where you just have, where it might end up becoming a thing where you subscribe to a, a provider and you just sign up for these select services. And then yeah. that's all you get. Because I don't have an issue with there being a direct TV or spectrum or anything like that. But if you could, because ultimately, as a consumer, if we could get to a point where we can sign up for whatever it is we want to watch and then just pay a price for that, a reasonable price at that, then I'm happy. (laughs) There's not too many shows I I really care to watch. And for me, because what? I I, I subscribe to Hulu. I'm paying like $6.99 a month. And... There's only like a handful of shows that I'll actually watch. And I don't even watch, you know, them on a regular, but I'm like, hey, it's only six ninety nine. I I haven't logged into Hulu like a couple weeks now, but still it's like it's only six ninety nine. It's for what I'm watching and for how much time I spend watching it, that's not that's not hurting me. For that six ninety nine, like for what I watch, that's a fair price to me. For even though I'm getting like all of this other content that that I would okay, love yeah. to be able to sit down and watch, but I don't have time to like you said, I don't have time to go through and sit well, through all this, all these movies well, and shows and go ahead. No, but also too, like, I mean, at least out here in LA, 20 bucks a movie ticket. 
So it's like really? every time I go to every time I go to the movies, it's like you know it's forty bucks to take my girl and I. So it's just like <laughs> like literally, it's, it's yeah. twenty bucks a ticket. So wow. yeah, as part of it too is you can get you can have all the streaming stuff for the mm-hmm. you know for the month for forty bucks. But no, I, I think you're probably right. It's because I, essentially all these networks are realizing they're they're seeing all this money, all these the subscriptions that Netflix has. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, "Oh, we don't want to give away that money. Well, why? Why can't we? Would rather have the money directly." But then, right. at some point, yeah, it's going to be so spread out that you're probably going to end up doing, like you said, it's probably just going to end up being like cable, but internet cable, and you pay thirty, forty bucks a month, and you get access to NBC, the NBC, and the Netflix and Hulu, and be just all the network. Right. Where it's right. like, okay, I get NBC and Fox and Disney and whatever, and it's just this flat rate. And you get like 15 different or 10 whatever different apps. Netflix, I think, is definitely still the king to me. But things could be changing. But they do have a pretty good variety. But yeah, you're right. It's essentially now all they're they're really promoting is their original content. But they have some really good original content. They do. They do. uh, All right, now we're going to go ahead and get into the interview. want to let the listeners get to learn more about what you have going on and some of the things that you do as well. My first question to you is, how did, how did you get into music? From an early age, I was in choir, I think, in like third grade. And then I started playing in band in fourth grade. So I was, I just always had, I always enjoyed music. I think when I was in fifth or sixth, I think I was in fifth grade, I saved up and saved my allowance money and got a drum kit. In elementary school, I was already like really into playing drums. And I was like playing all the time. My parents like, let me set it up. We had like a little music room in our house that had my drum kit and my xylophone. And, and you know, and then eventually my parents got me an acoustic guitar. And then we had, you know, had just like an electric piano uh, in the house. But I was always kind of, having fun playing and then in high school started as I started to get more into different bands and you know going on the internet and finding finding music that wasn't on the radio but that I that I like you know I started started playing in bands and that was like you know just a good way to to my friends just like hang out yeah. play music that's just what I did Play, played some sports as well but I was by senior year I was already like you know I was still playing a little bit I was but I was pretty much over sports by then and pretty into music. And then around that time, I was already starting to like by junior year, I was already like doing MIDI and using the computer to make music. So even though I didn't really know that's what I wanted to do for sure, I was experimenting with it and having fun. And then when I was getting ready to, to figure out what I wanted to do for school, I was pretty sure I wanted to do something with music and then found out about this program called Sound Recording Technology in Western New York. And okay. uh, there's mu- there's a music school, so you had to try out and be accepted as a music student. And so I did that. From there, I moved to Cleveland, Ohio, and I worked at a studio called Annie Up that's now out of business, but that's really where I learned. So I was okay. there for I was there for a couple years. Then I I got married about a month or two after I got married, I got a phone call from a friend that was living in New York City, that I had mentioned to him that I was trying to leave Cleveland, but wasn't sure exactly how to navigate it. And mm-hmm. there was a he a studio that he used to work at called uh, Downtown 
recording studio, which is uh, they have a publishing company is their big thing downtown. They have this beautiful studio in, in Manhattan and they needed somebody last minute to fill just be like the main assistant engineer. So it was like kind of like a, a downgrade in position. But the people who work there are crazy. Like the, when I first went there, like uh, this band, Mike Snow, was working there. And later on, Kendrick Lamar was there for like a week, two weeks working on To Pimp a Butterfly. I went down there for a couple days, checked it out, and then kind of figured my move. Got down there like a week or two later. So it was a real quick turnaround. And then I got really lucky. It was like Thanksgiving. Actually, we five years ago in a couple weeks, or like a week or 10 days. I was back in Ohio with my wife's family. Drove mm -hmm. back to New York on a Sunday, Thanksgiving weekend. And the studio manager called me up and said, hey, are you back? Somebody from Interscope wants to work and no engineers are available. So I literally like didn't even have time to take the subway, called a car. This was before Uber. <laughs> That's funny. Um, probably, probably about a year before Uber became like a thing. And uh, yeah, called a car went to the studio and that's where I met Esther Dean, the songwriter. She was already there waiting. So I met her. She was like really cool. Then we started working and things went really smooth, had a great session. And then she booked me for the next day again as an engineer. And then she booked me for the whole month of December, essentially. You know, you go to a place like this to meet somebody. Usually it takes you like a year or two years to kind of vibe with somebody. And I just happened mm -hmm. to get really lucky that it only took me like three months because she was essentially the first person that I got to work with there. At the end of December, she basically said, hey, I have to go back to L.A. because she just stayed in New York to work with me, which was like crazy because we were just like vibing really well. And she said, I got to go back to L.A. I wish I could bring you with me. And I was like, well, you could. And so <laughs> she's like basically came up with a proposal and she moved me out to LA and I moved to LA like January 5th and that's how that's how I ended up in LA slowly through that I did a song with her that was on the show Empire we did like a finale for a Broadway musical I was like totally mm -hmm. random and then I kind of started to transition into to um, just focusing more on my own stuff as a producer and so that's been the last probably two and a half or three years that I've been out here has been. So I know you say you worked on a lot of cool projects. Um, you told me about was the Songland project. Give me a little bit of insight to that one. Songland was pretty cool. It, it's from the creators of The Voice and it's on, it's an NBC show. Just, it finished its first season. So that was one, this was through uh, Esther as well. I was her engineer and then just helping essentially with everything behind the scenes so the premise of the show is that you're going to have, you have like five or six songwriters that they worked on the song and now they're, they're singing it for a real artist, which would be like a Megan Trainor, Charlie Puth or Jonas Brothers, etc. So they're singing a song that they think, you know, this is this pitching. This is exactly what I was talking about before. So they're pitching the song to the artist saying, I think you could sing the song. So then there's three judges. Esther's one of them. They get paired up with the three best songs. And then that's kind of where I come in. And then I would go into the studio with the contestant that was paired up with Esther and Esther. And we would work on the song. There'll be like rewriting melodies or lyrics. Then, you know, there'd be production changes. And basically then they come back and they re-perform the song for the artist again. 
and then the artist picks one song. Okay. It was a really cool show. I think it's awesome even to go back to kind of what we were talking about before, you know, about streaming and stuff for songwriters and uh, songwriters and producers, but even more so songwriters don't really get a lot of love and a lot, they don't mm-hmm. get any spotlight really. I think it was, it's really cool to have a show that at least like shines, shines the light on some people trying to, trying to do their thing. Right. And it's good for that. It was, you know, I think it really helped out a couple people that were on the show and kind of kickstart their careers as songwriters. So that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely like a good vibe show. Like it was very positive. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. The one thing that was real crazy though, is that these, the turnaround, we would film the first part of the show and then we would have essentially three days to com- to completely redo the song and then that fourth day they would sing it again and so that wow. was kind of crazy because normally these things just don't move that quick because you kind of mm-hmm. need some more back and forth some more time and then what was even i think there was like three times where throughout the show where episodes were overlapping so you would wow. have four days to do two songs but it was like it wasn't even like you really had four days because like Esther would have to shoot a promo thing or like a a fake studio scene or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like you even really had those full days. So essentially what, what ended up happening was we basically have one solid day in the studio where we were Mm -hmm. trying to do this. There's a couple of like sleepless nights where we're uh, just trying to hit deadlines, but that's just because TV and music industry, they just aren't the same thing. So, you know, we made it work in the end. It was just, you know, some, some late nights, but it was it was cool, and I was glad to be a part of that show for the first season. It's got a second season, got picked up for a second season, so I I'm hopeful that it's a you know long standing show. It's really cool just to have a show that shines the light on the behind the scenes and not just the singer. So yeah, it was it was a really it was a great experience, and it was also cool just to work at, at Universal. It's like cool to like be on the Universal Studios lot for like a month and a half. It's like this is badass, you know. You see all like the other, you know, all the, you know yeah. all the movies that get filmed there and TV shows. Right. And... So I, I know you've done a lot of traveling doing this kind of work. So what's that been like going to other countries and working on music and you know just working with different people around the world? Yeah, man, I've been I've been really lucky, and again, this was with Esther through Esther. Very fortunate to have her um, take me around to a number of places. So like a lot of times you'll do we'll do these like kind of like songwriting camps, essentially, which is like you go to a location and it's like usually pretty, pretty cool spot. And then you're you're either usually you're working towards somebody's album. So like we worked with the DJ Afrojack, who's yeah. um really, really dope DJ. And, you know, if you follow like his his EDM music and if you follow his Instagram, whatever, he's like playing like crazy shows all over the world like Mm -hmm. especially like in asia and stuff in asia and europe he's like super popular the first time i worked with him was actually at his house in amsterdam which was like pretty crazy he just had this like super baller house it was like a little castle and then Mm -hmm. in the back a little like compound of like four or five like little houses and then one was one's like his like main studio with like a really nice like a nice studio and the other ones had basically like little bedrooms with mm-hmm. setups for small like studios because he has he has a recording it's called wall wall recordings and like so he has he's has like artists and producers signed to him like he's touring like a lot a lot like probably 200 plus days a year but when he's not wow. if he's in yeah he's he tours a lot 
But if he's not there or if he's back home, then he can have like his producers or writers, whatever, just like come over and stay and work on music. So it was really dope. So we did that. I was there for probably like a week and a half or something like that. Yeah, and we just went there and worked on music for him. And then another time, he he was playing shows in Asia, and he flew us out to Bali. That was probably my favorite one because we were we stayed at a, like a, a resort, and he just got the entire resort. So it was like a pretty good sized resort, probably like for I don't know, man, maybe like twenty rooms or something. And he just got all of them, and then he just had like his crew, like friends and stuff, and like his engineer, and then he flew out. Esther and I and a couple and Esther's sister and another another songwriter and so we had our own pool our own hot tub our own our own little like, little house thing it was pretty awesome and it was right on the ocean or, you know you, so it's, it's <laughs> like, you know that being said we go there to work right. so it's not like honestly a lot of these times when I go in like I might get like a day or two to like go out and check some things out but for the most part just enjoy where you're at you know and luckily like mm-hmm. luckily a lot of these places are really pretty like with um with bali i went into town like twice but mostly i just like if we, if i was waiting i would have everything set up and then when esther was ready to work we'd work but i would just go sit out by the pool go for a swim go sit on the ledge by the ocean it was mm-hmm. it was a resort so it was like super nice i also got to work with uh with david Geta at his house in ibiza that was pretty mm-hmm pretty crazy he had a really nice he's a super nice guy so similar kind of thing whereas he had a couple different rooms set up in his place and everyone's just working on music for his his album the other one is i went to uh london for rihanna and that was obviously that's cool because it's rihanna and she had like a whole a whole studio it was called rack r-a-k in london Mm -hmm. it was like this like massive studio like i think it was like eight or nine rooms Something like mm-hmm. that with like the little well, there were some smaller rooms, but she had like uh, I guess they were they had the whole place booked out for three months constantly. That was pretty wild. I think we were there for like two weeks. Like with her, it's like I, you know we might have turned in like twenty songs that we did, and you know mm-hmm. and then there was all those other rooms working too, and then they had it for three, and we were only there for a couple of weeks. So it's just like you can see how someone like her they could easily rack up a, a thousand songs right just for just for her that are gonna make an album that still hasn't come out yet which is pretty wild but with her with someone like rihanna they probably waiting for that one song and when they get it right then when they know it's right then they'll do a whole album off of that and she never misses (laughs) so she her albums are always her stuff's always awesome they know what they're doing (laughs) but it's crazy that's cool yeah and i mean also too like i also too because you just think about it for, for that it's like okay so there's just for us that's flying three people to mm-hmm. across the country, putting them up in hotels and paying for a studio. It's like, it's right. It adds, it's, it's not cheap. When you're Rihanna, you make that enough money that that's okay. Cause True. yeah, she's like as big as you get. <laughs> right. <laughs> like literally. Man. All right. So <laughs> my last question, you live in LA, you know, when you first told me this, I was kind of like, I, I thought I, misheard you <laughs> but you you and your wife have a horse yeah it always like trips people out when they come over here in our backyard there instead of having like a decent sized backyard we have some fencing up and we have like a horse turnout we have this like little area for our horse which her name is fira most people like literally went to a show on monday night in uh, hollywood for this this girl maya b this uh, artist on capital she's really dope Went to check her show out, and 
bumped into one of her friends and he was like he's like oh how do i know you and he's like oh yeah you're you're the horse guy like that's literally <laughs> how pe- like how people know me out here the guy with that has a horse at the studio <laughs> so oh, yeah it's just like it's like right it's like right next to the to it's right mm-hmm. so the studio's in the back and it's right next to that so like every time everybody anybody comes over they come out and see the horse feed the carrot or whatever. So she's like, she's on the, she's on the gram quite a lot. She gets Instagram. She makes the Instagram uh, <laughs> live a lot, but yeah, no, it's basically, we live in this little neighborhood in Glendale slash Burbank area. And it's right okay. by Griffith park. Griffith park is where the Hollywood sign is. So it's on like the backside of that. And okay. The, okay. In, in our neighborhood, it's zoned for horses. So like not everybody, a good amount of people have horses in their backyard and you can like just literally ride your horse down the street and then you go over this little bridge over the LA River go under a highway and then you're in Griffith Park and you can go riding to like Griffith Observatory or like Mount Hollywood or the Hollywood sign like there's all these places you can go that's more i don't really ride like that i ride every once in a while i'll rent all we only have one horse so right. i'll rent a horse but it's it's mostly my girl's thing but yeah no it's, i i wasn't a horse person at all but you know i really I get it. I, I like that. This horse really has personality. Nate knows who I am. It likes me. It like likes getting pets. You know, so it's more like a large dog for me than mm-hmm. anything else. Because I'm not like riding it or nothing. She's real chill. But you still got to be careful because she's strong, so strong. You I know, there's nothing you can do. Nothing you, right. you get. Like sometimes she'll just like move her head quick, not even on purpose, and you'll be like, D-. it was like getting punched. It'll be like getting punched. Like, dude, oh, this man. animal is so strong. But they're like, you know, like 1,200, 1,300 pounds. Like, they're big creatures. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but she's a sweetheart. Pretty, pretty random and pretty, pretty rare cool. for, the, for the L.A. area, <laughs> especially this close. Like, if you go out, like, a bit further, like, you know, like an hour away from L.A. in yeah. a couple directions, there's some more, like, equestrian areas. But it's just mm-hmm. – it's a little odd here because there's just so many people. Usually, it's like if people have horses, they got, like, a couple acres or whatever. A bunch of horses in our neighborhood, so it's pretty crazy. That's a fun fact, <laughs> right there. <laughs> <laughs> really quick before I let you go, you have any projects that are currently out you want the listeners to be on the lookout for? Yeah, absolutely. So the um, JL and I, which is he's my partner in Cut and Dry, we have for the better part of this year, basically after I finished up Songland in like February, we started working on an album for our friend Nako. And his group is called Nako and Medicine for the People. And he's he's really dope. He's got a seven-piece band. Really cool story. He, you got to check out his his music. The, um, we just dropped his first single. It's called Lifeguard. That came out, I think, like two weeks ago. And okay. then we're going to... Another single's coming out in December. Whole thing will be coming out in, in the middle of the year next year. But we'll have, like, you know, five or six singles. So we'll be consistent releasing music from now until, like, May. So that's really dope. I'm really proud of that. And it's not going medicine for the people. First single is Lifeguard. So check that out. And then the other thing that just dropped that I worked on was a song called Bad Behavior. And that is by by Remy Wolf and Austin Mills. And that's really dope, too. So um, a lot of people pretty much, or not everybody, but almost everybody has the same management as me. So that was real cool. It was kind of like keeping it in the family. Yeah, um, yeah. So Remy is she's a, a she's up and coming artist. She uh, she's on tour with Cautious Clay right now. Yeah, dude, she's dope. And then the other writer, Mary, 
is uh, same management as well, Mary Mary White's, and so it's cool to, to just to be working with a couple couple people from the team. And then Austin mm-hmm. Mills is like really really dope DJ, and we really like we're probably gonna be doing more stuff with him coming up too. He's a cool dude. Other than that, check out my dude Drew Mac. He actually has same management too, so just shouting out the team. We worked on in September. He released an EP called Vitamin D. I co-produced a couple, like three songs on it, and then I mixed and mastered everything. I did that with Jail and Cut and Dry. So we were heavy, heavy, heavily involved in that. So that's that's a pretty dope one. Cool. Well, that's all exciting. Really wanted to thank you for coming on the same show. Yeah, dude. Uh, definitely fun talking to you. Uh, a lot of this was really cool. You know, getting to you know talk to you about all this all the stuff you got to do as well so you know thank you again for taking time out of your schedule uh, to come on the podcast i uh, really appreciate it definitely got to have you back on um, after you guys get some more things out there so um, hell yeah dude absolutely thanks <laughs> yeah, for having so me thank man. you yeah 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 anytime anytime and you know i just want to thank the listeners for continuing to tune in all the listeners around the world from from North America, South America, Africa, Europe, Asia. You know, thank you all for continuing to tune into the same show. With that being said, this is the same show, the show about nothing and everything. Be sure to continue to like, share, subscribe, and tell everybody about it. Uh, there's more great episodes to come. And again, go check out those songs and those artists that Adam mentioned. Uh, if, you, if you weren't able to catch them, there's a rewind button for a reason. So definitely rewind it. Get those names. Go listen to those songs. I heard some of them. They're pretty dope. So I, I try to stay on top of what you guys out too. Um, so yeah, definitely you know, go check them out. And until next time, we're out. Mm-hmm.